All right, this morning we're going to finish up uh, John chapter 17, which records the longest public prayer of Jesus. So turn to John chapter 17, page 1245, if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you. We'll be looking at verses 20 through 26. Lord, we're so blessed to have this prayer recorded in your word. We get to look into your heart, see what was most important to you as you prayed. And I pray that what's important to you would be important to us. Instruct us, lead us, teach us. Help us to live these words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you remember that this chapter records the last public prayer of Jesus before he's arrested and taken to the cross. But in this prayer, Jesus does not throw a pity party. He's not focused on all the difficulties that he's about to face. Instead, in the first ten verses, he prays that the Father would be glorified in the circumstances that are about to take place. And then in verses 11 through 19, he prays for his disciples, Peter, James, John, and the rest. Look who he prays for as the prayer concludes in verse 20. Jesus says, Father, I do not pray for these alone, that is the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is looking ahead into the future as he concludes this prayer. He's praying for all the people who will become believers through the preaching of the gospel through the apostles. He's praying for all the future generations of believers. He's praying for the church. He's praying for us. Jesus, hours before he faces the cross, could see the church being born on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his resurrection. He could see the disciples in the upper room waiting. The Holy Spirit poured out. The church is born. Peter preaches and thousands of people come into the church. By the way, Today is Pentecost Sunday. Everywhere around the world, people are celebrating and remembering the birth of the church. Jesus saw that in advance. He saw the church being born in Jerusalem, spreading to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He could see the next 2,000 years of church history as the church spreads to every corner of the globe. In this prayer... He's praying for the whole church throughout the church age, including you and I who live in El Paso, Texas, year 2023. If you're a born-again Christian, you're a member of the church, how cool is it that Jesus was thinking of you and praying for you hours before he died for you at the cross? 
I find it incredibly insightful that Jesus was praying for future events, that he was praying for future generations. He could see the plan ahead and he prayed for it. And, you know, Jesus being our role model, we should do that as well. We should pray for future generations. A lot of times when we pray as Christians, we're only praying about things that matter to us today, about the current emergencies, the fires that we need to put out today. And that's good. We should pray for those things that are pressing in our lives today. Jesus did teach us to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. But I think we should also dedicate some of our prayer time to the future. We talk about long-term planning. How about long-term praying? Christian parent of small children. I know you're praying every day that you'll be able to sleep through the night. I've been there. I know how exhausting it can be to have small, young children. And you should cover them in prayer right now. But what about their futures? How about praying for the teachers that they're going to have in elementary, middle school, high school, college? Praying for their future spouses. Praying for their future careers and ministries. Young person, maybe you're hoping to get married one day when you get older and you're thinking about your future plans. You know, you can ask the Lord about your future. You can pray for it. Pray for that future spouse. I think all of us as Christians should be praying for that future generation. I would request that all of you regularly be praying for our youth group and our children's ministry, that God would raise up pastors and worship leaders and missionaries and evangelists. Pray that the younger generation will take the mantle of faith that we've lived. Pray for them. Pray for your ministry if you're involved in one. That it will have future implications. That it will outlast you. Pray about these future things. Jesus did that. Now I want you to notice a very specific prayer request that he had for the church. This is so important. Look what he prayed for. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be, what? One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. Five times Jesus prays that the church would be one. One. Jesus prayed for unity. In his church. Now listen, unity in the church is very, very, very important. According to the Lord Jesus Christ in this prayer. 
the oneness of the church. Now let's try to understand what this unity means. First understand that Jesus isn't speaking of uniformity. He's not saying that all Christians wear the same uniform. He's not praying for cookie-cutter Christians. He's not praying that all Christians look alike, dress alike, talk alike. He's not praying that all Christians do church exactly the same way. He's not praying that all Christians do ministry exactly the same way. He's not saying that all churches should organize exactly the same way. He's not praying that we all be exactly alike in every approach to ministry and church. He's not praying for that. That would take away one of the greatest strengths of the church, which is diversity. Church is very diverse. The church is comprised of people who speak many languages all over the world, different cultures, different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. There's major diversity in the church. Jesus isn't praying that all these different cultures of the world would be erased and he's going to create this new Christian culture where everyone is exactly the same. No way. There are diversities in talents, gifts, capabilities. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are differences of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. He goes on to say, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. Different people, different members. And it's because of the diversity of the church that we can be effective in reaching people in different cultures in meaningful ways. So Jesus isn't praying that we all do everything alike. You know, there's probably thousands of Christian shelters and food banks on planet Earth. The Bible commands us to feed the hungry and the poor. But there's no one divinely sanctified way to administer that. There's different ways, depending on the culture. There's probably hundreds of evangelists being used by God, thousands of them around the world. And not all of them look and dress like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie. Different. There are hundreds of thousands of different local churches all over planet Earth. And God uses them to impact the cities where they are. You know, I, I was blessed. I grew up in, in a Christian family, and we did all different kinds of churches. I've, I've been to Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches. We even spent a couple years in a, in a house church. I've seen all kinds of churches, and I appreciate them all. Now, me personally, I landed in Calvary Chapel. And I love Calvary Chapel. I love the way Calvary Chapel does things. And this is my home. This is where I feel called and comfortable. But I'm not for a moment going to suggest that Calvary Chapel is the only way church should be done. 
There are other churches that God uses. It's diverse. Jesus is not praying that all of us do things exactly the same way. He's not praying for uniformity. He's praying for something much more incredible, much more beautiful, much more supernatural. He's praying for unity. Jesus here is praying for a very special, unique, and supernatural bond between his people. He's praying that there would be this family bond between all of his people within the church age. I mean, the way he's putting it here, be one as he and the Father are one. The Father and Jesus, Jesus and us, we're all one. He's praying that his people would be joined together in one beautiful bond and family of oneness. And my brother and sister in Christ, I would suggest to you that that prayer has been answered. There is a oneness. After Jesus prays this prayer, he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross for the sins of the world and he rises again the third day. He ascends into the heavenlies He watches as the church is born, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and he's seen the church be born. He is the head of his church, and he's the builder of his church, and everyone, regardless of background, gets into the church the same way. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins. There is a unity in the church over the last 2,000 years. There is a oneness. Jesus died to make that happen. We are related to one another, though different in different ways, joined together in Christ. And that's true of every single believer. Regardless of church, regardless of where you live, we're one. It's there. And I felt that. Have you ever had the experience where you met a stranger here in the community? Maybe you did business or you met someone in the grocery stores and you just felt there's a connection here. And you get to talking and you find out later, yeah, you're both Christians. And you kind of knew it. That's the bond that Jesus prayed for. It's there. I've had the privilege of being able to go overseas and go to many different countries. I've been to El Salvador and Guatemala and, of course, into Mexico and Yugoslavia when Yugoslavia existed. I've been to Hungary and all these different places. I've had the privilege of going to visit churches where everyone speaks a language I don't understand. And immediately feeling that sense of kindred. There's a bond. There's a love. I've had the privilege of spending time with lots of pastors of different churches and different denominations. And I feel that bond. Jesus prayed for it. 
And it's been answered. We share an inseparable bond in Christ. We share a love for Christ. We share a love for one another. And we do share, as Christians over the last 2,000 years, a common faith. A common faith. I want you to notice what Jesus prayed for again in verse 20. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What word? The word of the apostles. The apostles preached the word initially in the church. And what happened to the doctrine of the apostles for the most part? It all got written down. And it's all contained in the Holy Scriptures. We, as Christians... Hold a common faith as established in the Holy Scriptures. We share it. Now, you know as well as I do, I don't have to tell you this, you know it. Christians don't agree on all details in the Bible, do they? Right? That's why there's so many different denominations and things. So there are things that Christians have disagreed in over the years, like um, how a church should be organized, the government of a church, what the Bible teaches about last day scenarios, how a church should behave in public worship services. There's even been disagreements in the church about the way somebody gets baptized. There have been different details that Christians have disagreed over, and that's something to expect. In fact, suppose for a moment that we could bring some of the great Christians of the centuries together under one roof. From the 4th century would come Augustine. From the 10th century, Bernard of Clavoux. From the 16th, the peerless reformer John Calvin. From the 17th century would come John Wesley. And along with him, George Whitfield. From the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody. And finally, the 20th century, Billy Graham. Let's say we get all these giants and we're under the same steeple. Would they agree on every detail? No. No. But listen very carefully. In the minors, there are many things in Scripture that there's room for disagreement on. They're minor issues. But there are pillars. There are foundational, essential building blocks and principles of the Christian faith, which all of the church shares in common. So, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, the sinfulness of humanity, the atoning work of Jesus at the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, the inspiration of the scripture, the fact that Jesus is one day coming again. These are all truths that every Christian embraces. And we share those. We have those in common. 
anybody who would go outside of the orthodox basic principles of Christianity, we wouldn't share with them. So there is scriptural truth that is non-negotiable. And we uphold. So Jesus prayed this prayer that we would be one. And we are one. That prayer has been answered. So really what you and I as Christians need to do is maintain the unity. Maintain it. Recognize that Jesus died for it. Recognize that that's what Jesus wants. And all of us as Christians should do everything we possibly can to maintain unity. And you know what that means? Do not demand or expect other Christians to think or behave or minister just like you. Embrace diversity. Don't compete with other churches. Don't put down other Christians. Avoid that. One person said, we are not called to be Christian clones. In fact, the insistence that others be like us is one of the most disunifying forces in the church of Jesus Christ. It engenders a judgmental inflexibility that hurls people away from the church with deadly force. One of the gospel's glories is that it hallows our individuality even while bringing us into unity. important. I would also say this, beware of the topics, beware of all the things that can divide Christians. And one of the things that Christians have divided, and it's been very common throughout church history, is over personalities and leaders and factions in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Now I say this, that some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Even in the earliest part of church history, there were people that said, I'm with Apollos. Oh yeah, I'm with Peter. Oh yeah, I'm with Paul. Dividing over personality. Today, people might say, well, I'm of John MacArthur. I'm with Beth Moore. I'm with Chuck Smith. I'm with so-and-so. You should be with Jesus. Amen? Don't get caught up in, in factions based on leadership personnel. Now, there are some awesome, godly men and women who are great leaders who I greatly respect, but my allegiance is to no man. My allegiance is to Jesus. And any good Christian leader will try to get as many people to Jesus rather than to themselves. Don't divide over things like that. Be very, very careful when it comes to doctrinal fights. Be very careful. All those minor issues. Don't spend all your time beating up your brothers and sisters over that. Don't do that. 
Should you give your opinion? Should you know what you believe? Absolutely, you should. But I learned a long time ago, early on, I don't want to waste a lot of energy trying to argue something like that with a brother and sister in Christ. You know how you could spend that time? Sharing the gospel with a non-believer. Be very careful. It was Augustine who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's a beautiful statement. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Cover them with love. The Bible says that love covers over A multiple of sins. Look past the differences on the minor details. Love one another. Although George Whitfield disagreed with John Wesley on some theological matters, he was careful not to create problems in public that could be used to hinder the preaching of the gospel. When someone asked Whitfield if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven... Whitfield replied, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne, and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. I love that. I love that. Prefer one another. Love one another. Don't beat up each other. The benefits of unity are so wonderful. It says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't it wonderful when we get along? How good and how pleasant that we dwell in unity. As we seek to maintain unity with one another, it does. It safeguards us from running down bunny trails so that we can direct all our energy into what really needs to be going on in the church is just reaching out to a lost world. So important. Our unity is the best testimony that we can give before the world. In fact, in verse 23, Jesus says, I and them and you and me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you love me. The world looks at a church living in unity and that's the best testimony. The church shouldn't be fighting like everyone else in the world. Who needs that? You can get that in the world, right? That unity is so important. The best way, the best way to maintain unity in the church is for each and every one of us as individual Christians to stay close to Jesus. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. And as we walk closely with Jesus, our relationships with one another should grow. Kent Hughes uses an illustration that I absolutely love. He says, Our unity can be described as an inverted cone. It's 
says God is at the top. All the believers are around the base. As we draw nearer to God, we ascend the cone. As we're chasing God, as we're going after God, as we do that, we all get closer and closer to one another. Beautiful picture. Your relationship with Christ will help you to live in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make that your every aim. So that's important. Jesus prayed for unity. Finish up the prayer. Look at verse 24. I love this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I love that verse. That verse is so touching. Jesus is essentially saying... I can't wait for my people to see my glory. I can't wait. Now, you and I, we think a lot about heaven. And a lot of times we think, I can't wait to get to heaven and see Jesus. Have you ever thought that Jesus can't wait for you to get there? And show you around? He's He's got a mansion that he's preparing for you. He wants you to see him in his glory. And one day that will take place. Verse 25, he closes with a vow, a promise. He says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them that your name, and will declare it, that the love in which you love me may be in them and I in them. As Jesus finishes off this prayer, he says, Father, the world didn't know you, but I've made you known. And I promise that I'll keep making you known. And I promise that the special people will keep increasing in their knowledge of you and the love that you have for them. I love that. Jesus promises to continue to make his name known to us and also that we will always be increasing in the Father's love for us. So look at this prayer. You put it all together. These are going to be a spectacular group of people. Make them one. Let them know who I am and know my love better and better as it goes. And let them be a greater testimony to this world around us. And after that's all done, bring them home. Be with me in glory. I hope, my brother and sister in Christ, that you understand how blessed you are to be a member of the church. You are one with a very special group of people, not only those that are alive on the planet today, but you're one with 2,000 years worth of saints. With a common faith and a common goal. And I pray that knowing that would motivate the way you live your life here. 
that you would seek to be that best member of the church you can be. As fruitful as possible. I heard a wonderful story that touched my heart this week. One evening during vacation Bible school, a new student was brought into the room. The little boy had one arm missing. And the teacher was nervous that one of the other children would say something insensitive to him. At the end of the evening, she asked the children to join her in their usual closing ceremony. She says, let's make our churches, she said. Let's put our hands together to form the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and and then, oh. She thought to herself, I can't believe I just did what I did. As she stood there speechless, the little girl sitting next to the boy reached over with her left hand and placed it on his right hand and said, Joshi, let's make the church together. And I would close by telling you this. Let's make the church together. Let's join together. Know how special it is to be a member. Know how special each and every brother and sister in Christ in your life is. And do all that you can to live in unity. And let that love be shown. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for the miraculous church. We thank you that it's always been a part of your plan. That way back then you said you'd build your church. And oh, how you have built your church. I pray that your church would thrive. I pray that as we still have time to shine your light on this planet worldwide, I pray, God, that we would be fruitful. Lord, protect us from hurting one another over silly arguments. Help us to keep focused on what matters most. And then with every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you a member of the church? Can you honestly say you are a member? of the church. Please understand, you don't becoming a member of the church doesn't mean you have to fill out a contract. It doesn't mean that you have to get your name on a church's register or anything like that. Becoming a member of the church is an individual decision that you make where you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. You want to become a member of the church? Give your heart to Jesus right now. Let him forgive you. Let him change you. Let him wash away all of your sins. Through faith in him, you'll become that member.
to become a part of his plan. If you haven't done that yet, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, if that's you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want in. I want to be a member of your church. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Make me one of your people. And help me to shine for you and live for you. Spend my days for you. In Jesus' name, amen.